Hi, this is Ben Lowell, and welcome to Back to the Bible Canada with Dr. John Newfeld. Well, today we continue our series, The Gifts of the Holy Spirit, with a message titled, Never Standing Alone. So turn in your Bibles to 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verses 14 to 26, as we join Dr. Newfeld now. It's almost unnatural in our day to speak about being dependent on each other, and here's why. Most of us have some form of life insurance policy, so if we or our spouse should die, we've contracted with an insurance company to cover the lack of income that would happen. Our spouse would not have to go begging to the banks or to relatives or to friends. There are companies that will insure you to take care of you should you or your spouse die unexpectedly. Now, now the same is true regarding retirement. When we get old and can no longer earn money, we hope we have the matter covered either through a lifetime of careful investment or through a company or a government retirement plan, many people are convinced that when they retire, they're going to have enough to be cared for without being dependent on others. You know, for years, I carried a disability plan so that if I were to suffer some form of catastrophic illness, well, I'd receive a wage all the way through to retirement. Now, as useful as those plans are, and I laud them, Yet one unintended consequence is that we feel more individualistic than ever before. What we are insuring ourselves against is so that we will not be a burden on anyone. And in essence, I think it's a good goal, but it also means that we don't need anyone. Individualism, I think, is the feeling that while I might enjoy a relationship, even enrich my life with a relationship, it's not the feeling that I need a relationship. See, here's another example. Divorce rates. Divorce becomes easier when economics are taken out of the picture. Here's another example. Bank financing, credit cards, easy access to loans from financial companies. I mean, they let us get into houses and cars before we can afford them. Again, the result is that we can manage on our own without the entanglements of others. See, all that is to say that we in our culture are far more individualistic than ever before. You know, some time ago, a groundbreaking book entitled Bowling Alone made the point. The author drew on studies of nearly 500,000 interviews that were conducted over 25 years. And it showed that North Americans sign fewer petitions, belong to fewer organizations, know fewer of their neighbors, meet with family less often, and have fewer friends than ever before. Indeed, things like television and computers and so forth have changed all of that. Indeed, the author points out that while bowling as an activity is up in the United States, more and more people are bowling alone. That's why it doesn't surprise me that there are more people who believe that they can practice their Christian faith alone. Relationships, at least in our culture, are less attractive. See, every once in a while, I'll see a car with a bumper sticker that says, the more people I meet, the more I like my dog. Now, Let's talk about spiritual gifts and the tendency that so many people have to think of them in individualistic ways. See, God has given me the gift of tongues, someone's going to say it. I have this private prayer language, or God has given me a gift of prophecy. I get messages from God, and and that's how we think about the gifts, individualistically. And that's even why some of us get prickly about our gifts. God has given me this gift, and don't you dare try to question the gift that I have. The idea behind that is that we think that our gifts are a part of our rights, and by that, I mean a part of our individual rights. 
it's not even occurred to us that our framework for thinking about gifts has been hopelessly influenced by a culture that thinks individualistically. And because of that, we lose any understanding of this thing. Now, we've been studying 1 Corinthians 12 to 14, and and one of the issues that Paul must stress when he discusses spiritual gifts is that none of them were created to be used independently of the rest of the church. See, Paul envisages the church as the body of Christ. We belong to this body, and we are individually members of it. So let's read our text, 1 Corinthians 12, 14 to 26. For the body does not consist of one member, but of many. If the foot should say, because I'm not a hand, I do not belong to the body, that would not make it any less a part of the body. And if the ear should say, because I am not an eye, I do not belong to the body, that would not make it any less a part of the body. If the whole body were an eye, where would be the sense of hearing? If the whole body were an ear, where would be the sense of smell? But as it is, God arranged the members in the body, each one of them, as he chose. If all were a single member, where would the body be? As it is, there are many parts, yet one body. The eye cannot say to the hand, I have no need of you, nor again, the head to the feet, I have no need of you. On the contrary, the parts of the body that seem to be weaker are indispensable. And on those parts of the body that we think less honorable, we bestow the greater honor. And our unpresentable parts are treated with greater modesty, which our more presentable parts do not require. But God has so composed the body, giving greater honor to the part that lacked it, that there may be no division in the body, but that the members may have the same care for one another. If one member suffers, all suffer together. If one member is honored, all rejoice together. So let's start our study of this passage by simply concentrating on the metaphor itself. As you probably know, the phrase body of Christ is the most common metaphor in the Bible to describe the church. But why? See, one of the places where this imagery is found is in Colossians 1.18. And before I read the passage, let me give you the context. In verse 15, Paul writes that Jesus is the firstborn of all creation. Just like the firstborn in an ancient Jewish family, the firstborn has preeminence, the place of honor and primary inheritance. And so it is with Christ. All things, says Paul, were created for him, that is, for his benefit. Indeed, Paul even takes it one step further, saying that all things were created through him. He is the author of everything. Further, not only is Jesus the author of all creation, but that creation itself holds together or is sustained by Jesus at every moment. Paul's not finished. In Colossians 1.18, he says, he is the head of the body, the church. So from what we've read, we get a picture. The church was created by Christ. The church is created for Christ. The church is being sustained by Christ at each moment in time. That's what it means for Christ to be the head of the church. Christ also directs the affairs of the church. He's the leader of the church. And all those images are found in the metaphor of the body of Christ. The body is held together by the head who is Christ. Now let's go to Ephesians 4, 15 to 16. There Paul writes, rather speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head, into Christ, from whom the whole body, joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped, when each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. From this, we can see that Paul takes the image of the head far past the normal metaphor of a head and the rest of the body. You see, in Ephesians, Paul says that the body must grow into the head. He says, the head makes the body grow. 
It's the responsibility of every body part to work in concert with the other body parts so that the whole body is completely aligned with the head. So we get an image. Again, to make the matter plain, the head in Paul's image plays a much more significant role than a normal head in a normal human body. In human bodies, the head is the nerve center and the command center for the whole body. Now, clearly, Paula has that in mind as well, but, but in Paul's image, the head's more. The head creates his own body, joins his body together, sustains his body at each moment in time. Now, in 1 Corinthians 12, 14 to 26, Paul simply assumes we already understand that. Christ is our head, has created us as a church, and he directs our affairs. But and this is key. Paul now advances that argument. He wants to say that because we, the church, are the body of Christ, we, the church, while we are many different individuals, all who have been given unique and and fascinating gifts by the Holy Spirit, and yet we are one body. That is, we can only function in relationship to each other. I mean, cut off a hand from the body, what is it? It's not functional. It's not useful. For that matter now, disconnect any of the spiritual gifts from the working of a local church. And I promise you, that spiritual gift is dead and without purpose. It is useless and it is of no good whatsoever. See, I mean to point out that that we should stop talking about spiritual gifts in an individualistic fashion. It's not helpful and it's not biblical. I mean, think about the spiritual gift questionnaires that that used to be so popular. I mean, you'd fill them out very much like you'd fill out, well, a personality profile. Now, at least so we thought, this helps us to understand ourselves, and it never occurred to us that we were supposed to, by our spiritual gifts, understand the church. We have so dreadfully misunderstood the phenomenon of spiritual gifts. That's why we have all these disputes about gifts. We've stopped asking what good they do and how they build up the local church. I think you'd agree, sometimes what we need is a dose of encouragement, laughter, and a reminder that God loves us. The goal of Laugh Again is to use storytelling and laughter to engage people of all backgrounds with a message of hope and joy that can only be found in a relationship with Jesus, God, and His Word. Host Phil Calloway provides his unique life perspective and insight in a style that encourages and uplifts. One listener wrote, Thank you for helping keep our focus on gratitude. It truly helps. In these times, I'm grateful to know the God who holds the whole world in the palm of his hand. What an eternally comforting thought. Laugh Again exists to lead people to consider a lifestyle of true joy and hope in Jesus. To find out more or to support the ministries of Back to the Bible Canada, like Laugh Again, call us at 1-800-663-2425 or visit laughagain.ca. First Corinthians 12 wants to teach us two very important lessons about spiritual gifts. The first lesson is that you're important to your local church, and the second is that others are important to you. Let's take these two lessons one step at a time. You are important to your local church. Listen again to verses 15 and 16. If the foot should say, because I'm not a hand, I do not belong to the body, that would not make it any less a part of the body. 
And if the ear should say, because I'm not an eye, I don't belong to the body, that would not make it any less a part of the body. I hope you hear the most pressing issue here. It's called significance. See, the complaint is that one gift appears to be more significant than the others. In Corinth, the significant gifts were no doubt the gifts of tongues and the gifts of prophecy. And we see that from chapter 14. But it must have been somewhat discouraging for those people in that church who didn't have those gifts. They felt insignificant. See, two things seem important. The first is that we should not highlight these gifts. And and here I mean things like tongues and prophecy, but I could add, you know, miracles and healing. We should not highlight these in such a way as to make other gifts seem less significant. See, the point of application is also valid. See, there are those Christians who actually think they have nothing significant to contribute to the body of Christ. And if you're one of them, let me ask you for a moment to step back from your feelings of insignificance and consider for just a moment the truth of the Holy Spirit's role in your spiritual development. Out of his infinite wisdom, the Holy Spirit has entrusted gifts to you. And if you complain about your gifts and say, well, because my gifts are not as significant as others, you're in effect questioning the Holy Spirit's wisdom in assigning gifts to you. See, you need to remember that that to complain about the gifts you have received is no different than a foot complaining that he or she's not a hand. See, you don't understand either the body or your relationship to it. So you understand your situation in relationship to the whole. If you consider the complexity of a human hand, you know, its ability to use tools and, and to design things, to use a keyboard, to make food, to point and emphasize something, I mean, the complexity and wonder of the human hand, well, it's magnificent. And how poorly a foot functions at any of those tasks, how insignificant, how lacking in ability. Doesn't that sound silly? Well, of course it does. So also does it sound silly when you, my brother or sister, feel that you're an insignificant person in God's family or in the body of Christ. And your task is to learn to know how you were designed by the Spirit to contribute something vital to the body of Christ. If you were designed as a foot, stop trying to be an eye or a hand or an ear. Start rejoicing for the way in which the Holy Spirit is using you for the unique role that God has assigned to you. Listen to verse 18. But as it is, God arranged the members in the body, each of them as he chose. (laughs) To suffer from envy of another person's gift is to question the choice of God. Now, having stated matters the way that he has, Paul's then careful to state matters the other way around. See, next, the problem is not that one member thinks that he or she's insignificant, but rather that one person looking around at the contributions of others now thinks that he or she is more significant. See, if the first problem was with a person that had an inferiority complex, the second is the problem of a person with a superiority complex. I'm reading verse 21. The eye cannot say to the hand, I have no need of you, nor again the head to the feet, I have no need of you. Take some time to think of how radical that statement is. You, whoever you are, can't be all that Christ wants you to be unless the others... People most unlike yourself are doing the ministry that Christ has called them to do. Let me put that matter personally. I can't be who Christ called me to be unless you, my dear brother and sister, are exercising your spiritual gifts. Stop holding me back in my growth in Christ by your refusal to exercise your spiritual gifts. I need you. 
And so we see one of the reasons why no Christian is given all the gifts. The Holy Spirit deliberately made us to be dependent on each other. See, God in his wisdom has deliberately withheld certain key gifts from you so that you would need the rest of the body. And having said that, Paul presses more deeply into his second point. Listen again to verse 22. On the contrary, the parts of the body that seem to be weaker are indispensable. Now here we might ask what parts of the body seem to be weaker. Well, let's use it in terms of an analogy. The human body has some internal organs which are, which are clearly weaker than others. I mean, compare the bones to the heart or the liver, and I think you get the point immediately. One is stronger, the other far more vulnerable. So let's see if we can make that make sense for us in a practical way. I think the gifts that put one in a public eye seem far superior or stronger than those gifts that operate behind the scenes. I'll try this as an example. Some gifts are related to leadership and others are not. How easy it is for those in leadership to think they take precedence over those who do not lead. See, I hope you get the point. Luke 2, 36 to 38 introduces us to a woman named Anna. So you don't know how old she was when she first got married, but, but given the culture of the day, she would have had to have been young. And then we're told that the marriage had lasted only seven years when her husband died. Now she's 84, probably a widow for close to 60 years. And what has she been doing? Well, she remained in the temple. She worshiped and she fasted and prayed and interceded for God's people. And she was waiting for the redemption of Jerusalem. Well, how valuable is that? See, in my years of pastoral ministry, I've met a few of God's people who have had a lifetime ministry of effective intercessory prayer. See, most of those people, when I talk to them, well, they know my burdens. They know my wife and my kids' names. They, they know details of the needs that are before the church. I remember one such woman who had a, a heart condition, and often I would be afraid to tell her any prayer concerns when she asked me. She, she had prayed with such abandon, and I watched the intensity in her prayer that, that I was afraid it would kill her. See, and I remember her begging me not to withhold my prayer concerns from her. It was her ministry. I mean, how could I keep her from the assignment that God had given her? Boy, that really made an impact on me. I knew it, and I, and I counted on her. And that's Paul's point. There are those gifts that are behind the scenes that seem inconsequential. That's precisely his point in verse 23 and 24a. And those parts of the body that we think less honorable, we bestow the greater honor and our unpresentable parts are treated with greater modesty, which our presentable parts do not require. See, I'm going to skip by the details of the metaphor. They seem obvious, but I'm going to come to the point. The Holy Spirit in his infinite wisdom is giving greater honor to those who exercise gifts of the Spirit that most of us, if we're not taking care, will never notice. People who exercise the gift of helps or of mercy or administration and so forth. I mean, years ago, one of my professors said the following. He said, each pastor should do something that requires sacrifice and which no one will ever be aware of except God. Now, I've always thought that to be exceptional advice, especially to pastors, because we're constantly being praised. But let me put it the other way around. I think every local church should be challenged to honor people who serve well when very few people notice their service. We should honor them. And why should that be done? According to Paul, that there may be no division in the body, but that the members may have the, the same care for one another. So might I give you an assignment? 
Yes, you really should send a note to your pastor and express thankfulness for his ministry. But you should also send a note to the person who never gets a note. And you should encourage her or him just as well. See, Paul ends with words that are intended to bind us together. If one member suffers, he says, all suffer together. If one member is honored, all rejoice together. Now, that's the ideal. But you can't get to that ideal until one... We're all using the spiritual gifts that have been assigned to us by the Holy Spirit. And two, we've come to understand that we are never standing alone. We do need each other. We were made for each other. We can only grow in relationship to each other. We can never carry out our assignment from God except in relationship to each other. We are the body of Christ. We're the family of God. We are members one with another. We will spend eternity with each other. We can never stand alone. The church of Jesus Christ is our family. Heavenly Father, I pray, O Lord God, teach us to continue to think about our brothers and sisters as people that we love and also that we need. In Jesus' name we pray. John, thanks so much for today. You know, you said something that I've carried with me for a long time, the whole idea that we're so very dependent upon each other spiritually. In fact, if I hold back my gifts from you or you hold back your gift from me, in some respect, we're holding back uh, our advancement, our spiritual maturity from one another. Yeah, and, and, you know, that seems to be right there in the text. And so I think a couple of things are very important for every single local church. I think we need to keep talking about spiritual gifts, but we also need to, to build our churches in such a way that encourages people to use them, that everyone gets actively involved, because it's going to be amazing. When we do that, you know, the church is just transformed. Ben, I remember seeing a study years ago in which, I mean, one of the key factors in the growth of a local church was simply, are people able to identify and use their own spiritual gifts? So that any church where people were actively using the gifts the Spirit had given them tended to grow. I mean, it's such a simple formula, but it's so it's so extensive. And so uh, I think what you've said is, is exactly right, Ben. Uh, you know, God has made us to be dependent on each other. Well, we're grateful for the spiritual gifts that God has given you, John, and uh, that you're using them for the kingdom. And uh, we just pray you'll continue to do that. And so remember to join us again tomorrow for more of Back to the Bible Canada, where we teach the Bible. You may think that estate planning is only for the wealthy, But decisions about your home, family, your retirement, or even how you'd like to see your money used for ministry and for the kingdom, well, that's important. Back to the Bible Canada has partnered with Advisors with Purpose to help you start and discuss those important decisions. Their trained estate specialists are available to meet you by phone and provide you with the information to make the best decisions possible for you and your family. As a result of our partnership, Advisors with Purpose has made their services free and confidential to you alone, leaving you free from any obligation. It's never too early to plan for your future, so call them today. To speak to an estate specialist today, call 1-866-336-3315. That's 1-866-336-3315 
or visit advisorswithpurpose.ca for your free and confidential consult.